So, good evening, Dharma friends. It may not always be uh, apparent to you all, but we do actually uh, confer together the teachers and discuss what we're going to offer, outlines of what we're going to offer in our evening talks. And our aim is to try to give you a, a, a kind of reasonably logical unfolding of ideas and also... Uh, a balanced diet, if you like, of Dharma nutrition that's hopefully <laughs> digestible and uh, contains the essential, essential nutrients. <laughs> and uh, then the, the one-to-one meetings, of course, is a way, you know, all our needs are slightly different, so that's a way that we can kind of top up and adjust the balance of what you might be ingesting in the hall. But as we were reflecting on you know, what talks to do next, it really struck me that uh, all our talks are really about the same thing. Yeah. So the Buddha, as we, as we know, said, I teach just one or two things, suffering and the end of suffering. And it seems to me that uh, all our talks are about clinging and non-clinging in different ways, about clinging and letting go. And uh, Greg, the other evening, uh, mentioned this teaching of Ajahn Buddhadasa, who said that the whole of the Dharma could be summed up, uh, that nothing whatsoever should be clung to, uh, which is a formulation of the Dharma that I've always really liked. And then also Joseph's uh, reflection that it really doesn't matter to what you do not cling. So, you know, we often get really hung up on trying to identify all the details of our experience. And that's like the the person in the suttas who's struck by a poisoned arrow wants to know every last detail about where the arrow came from and what it's made of and so on before they're willing to pull it out. So it's a useful reminder that it doesn't really matter to what we do not cling But I hope you're also hearing uh, in what we share and in your own understanding and practice of the Dharma that it also really does matter what you do cling to. So uh, what we cling to, uh, this is our karma. These are the bumps and the friction of being alive and the actions that cause us, cause happiness and cause regret. So it's not that, you know, nothing matters in this crazy wisdom sort of way. But so some of the teachings that we offer are are orienting us towards noticing and understanding the operation of clinging and how suffering arises. And then other teachings may be more about cultivating wholesomeness that reduces the suffering in our own lives and in the world and trains the mind towards release. So thinking it's sort of like if you've ever done rock climbing. Um, It's like there's this provisional or partial clinging that's needed to get you up the rock face. And if you cling to the wrong things, the holds will break and you'll fall down. 
but you need to also be willing to let go of the things you've clung to in order to move up the rock face. Otherwise, you'd just be permanently <laughs> lodged there <laughs> in some uncomfortable position, you know. Anyway. So there's a sense in which this is, a, this is as again, the saying goes, this is a marathon and not a sprint, and that actually... Uh, this work takes place over a whole lifetime or many lifetimes. Uh, Dukkha, as we've noticing, springs up over and over again, asking, asking to be liberated. And our habits take a, a long time to, to recondition. But at the same time, we've also been pointing to the fact that a a conditioned pattern can dissolve on the spot in the light of awareness. So there's a sense in which freedom is also immediately available when we meet this moment with mindfulness and wisdom. And Ajahn Buddha Dasa called this uh, these mini nibbanas, these glimpses of the third noble truth that arise now in our immediate experience. So the other morning I was talking about how each moment is actually a threshold in which we have the possibility of moving from one moment of clinging into another moment of clinging or we have the opportunity to let go and have a taste of freedom. And there's a lot of value to bearing that in mind, to having that continually present in mind. So Ajahn Sumedho, if you've ever listened to his talks, uh, my teacher in the monastery used to begin and probably still does begin all his, all his talks by quoting a couple of lines from uh, one of the suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, where it's the sutta in which the Buddha, after his enlightenment, is thinking about teaching and deciding it's going to be too much of an uphill struggle. And uh, then Brahma Sahampati, the ruler of the gods, appears to him and says there are beings with very little dust in their eyes who are suffering from not hearing the Dharma. Please teach them out of compassion. And so the Buddha consents and he says, the doors to the deathless are open. Let those with ears uh, bring forth their faith. And uh, this is, the doors to the deathless are open. Let those who can hear bring forth their faith, was something that Ajahn Sumedho says at the beginning of every talk, this reminder that the doors to the deathless are open right now. So tonight I actually want to offer some teaching on clinging or non-clinging, really, that's a bit different, and this is an experiment. You're my guinea pigs. So we'll just see what happens. <laughs> if you get very confused, you can ask questions tomorrow morning. <laughs> but when, I, when I'm on retreat, I usually practice not reading or writing anything. Occasionally, sometimes I jot down the odd, you know, um, the odd idea or phrase. But generally speaking, I tend not to read. And then at a certain point when my mind's got pretty quiet in the way that 
your minds, many of your minds, much of the time are pretty quiet. I find myself longing to hear or to read certain texts that have been meaningful to me, some of my personal favourites. And so when I see other people practising, the desire comes up to share, share these with you. And there's something, I think, that's quite powerful about dropping words into a quiet mind. It sort of reminds me of um, when I was a nun. I actually didn't listen to music for a very, very long time. I can't remember. I mean, it may have been a year or two sometimes between really listening to any music. And then you suddenly hear, you know, five minutes of Mozart or something. And it's a completely different experience from if you're listening to this regularly. It's like you hear things in a whole new way. And I think when we're quiet in meditation, thoughts and ideas and language also land differently in our mind. So I want to share two readings with you that may or may not resonate, and if they don't, that's okay. So the, the first one is very likely familiar to many of you. Um, I want to share some excerpts from the verses on the faith mind, the Sinsin Ming, which is a Chinese text attributed to the third Zen patriarch, Sen San. And Sengsan was the student and the Dharma heir of Hui Ke, who was the Dharma heir of Bodhidharma, who brought the Dharma from India to China. And you may know or remember uh, the story of how Hui Ke went to Bodhidharma, who'd been living in a cave for many years, and asked him, please pacify my mind. And Bodhidharma said to him, well, show me your mind. And Huayker said, I've looked every for, everywhere for it and I can't find it. And Bodhidharma says, well, there your mind is pacified. It's already pacified. So Huayker became Bodhidharma's heir and then his student in turn was Sengsan. And Sengsan died in about... 600 or shortly after that of our common era. The verses on the faith mind, another way of translating that is the mind of absolute trust, which is a translation I like. And it's a Mahayana teaching, a Zen teaching or Chan teaching. But I think in in essence it's completely consistent with everything we've been sharing and exploring here with the teachings of anicca and anatta, and that nothing whatsoever should be clung to. With that very first opening of the door to the deathless that began with that very first teaching that the Buddha gave. So this translation is by Richard Clark, who was the founder of the Living Dharma Zen Center, in Amherst, so a neighbour of ours. And uh, 
there are various translations and even various versions of his translation online. And uh, the translations can be quite different. It's very difficult to translate and to uh, fully understand some of these texts. Some of what this, these verses on the faith mind and the other teaching that I want to read say speaks to truths that we've already realised and some to things that we have yet to realise. And so they're not things that we have to uh, try to fully comprehend and or figure them all out or to try to line up all the details of different ways of speaking about the same things. So when I read or listen to them, it's like a, a koan that's inviting the mind into a different level of understanding, speaking to intuitive awareness. So Sang San was Hui Ke's student, and we don't know much about Sang San. It seems he wandered and lived in the mountains for many years. And there, there is a biography of him from the 13th century, which also gives the story of how he got his transmission from Hui Ke. And you'll notice there's a similarity here from the story about Bodhidharma and Hui Ke. But I, and I, I just found this, but I thought I'd share it with you, especially for the benefit of those of you who might be experiencing remorse or regret over past mistakes or things that you, you, know, you wish you'd done differently in your, in your life. So apparently Seng Tan went to Hui Ke and said, I'm riddled with sickness. Please absolve me of my sin. And Hui Ke, as you can recognize the echoes of the other story, said, bring your sin here and I will absolve you. And Seng Tan, after a long pause, said, when I look for my sin, I cannot find it. I'm sort of reminded of Beth's ghost story from the other evening. And Hui Ke said, there, I've absolved you. You should live by the Buddha the Dharma and the Sangha. So I wonder whether perhaps Seng San was somebody who suffered a lot from a judgmental mind and maybe a self-critical judgmental mind. And Hui Ke also exhorted him to live by the Buddha Dharma Sangha. And this to me is a reminder that this this teaching, this, these verses on the faith mind, are meant to be heard and understood in the context of everything that we already know of the Dharma. So when you hear this, it's not crazy wisdom that says that nothing matters, but it's speaking to the, the deep letting go of the heart and mind. So I'm going to read some of the excerpts from this translation. And... As I read, just let the words flow through you, and maybe some pieces will resonate with your experience, maybe some not. But uh, you could bear in mind the maxim of Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah that uh, we should listen to the Dharma with our hearts, not with our ears. 
So actually in the preface to this translation, uh, Richard Clark says, don't be diverted by attempts to define the faith mind. And most of all, do not be attached to stories about yourself. Just find true practice and align with it in every moment of your life. Thus you will come to know the truth shared by Sengtan and you and all things. The great way is not difficult for those not attached to preferences. When neither love nor hate arises, all is clear and undisguised. Separate by the smallest amount, however, and you're as far from it as heaven is from earth. If you wish to know the truth, then hold to no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the fundamental nature of things is not recognized, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. The way is perfect as vast space is perfect, where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. Indeed, it is due to our grasping and rejecting that we do not know the true nature of things. Live neither in the entanglements of outer things, nor in ideas or feelings of emptiness. Be serene and at one with things, and erroneous views will disappear by themselves. When you try to stop activity to achieve quietude, Your very effort fills you with activity. (laughs) Sound familiar? (laughs) As long as you remain attached to one extreme or another, you will never know oneness. Those who do not live in the single way cannot be free in either activity or quietude, in assertion or denial. Deny the reality of things and you miss their reality. Assert the emptiness of things and you miss their reality. The more you talk and think about it, the further you wander from the truth. So cease attachment to talking and thinking, and there is nothing you will not be able to know. To return to the root is to find the essence, but to pursue appearances is to miss the source. To awaken even for a moment is to go beyond appearance and emptiness. Changes that seem to occur in the empty world we make real only because of our ignorance. Do not seek for the truth, only cease to cherish opinions. Do not remain in a dualistic state, 
avoid such easy habits carefully. If you attach even to a trace of this and that, of right and wrong, the mind essence will be lost in confusion. Although all dualities arise from the one, do not be attached even to ideas of this one. great way is embracing and spacious. To live in it is neither easy nor difficult. Those who rely on limited views are fearful and irresolute. The faster they hurry, the slower they go. To have a narrow mind and to be attached to getting enlightenment is to lose one's centre and go astray. When one is free from attachment, all things are as they are, and there is neither coming nor going. When in harmony with the nature of things, your own fundamental nature, you will walk freely and undisturbed. However, when mind is in bondage, the truth is hidden, and everything is murky and unclear and the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. <laughs> what benefit can be derived from attachment to distinctions and separations? If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike the worlds of senses and ideas. Indeed, to embrace them fully is identical with true enlightenment. The wise person attaches to no goals, but the foolish person fetters themselves. There is one Dharma without differentiation. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. To seek mind with the discriminating mind is the greatest of mistakes. For the realized mind at one with the way, all self-centered striving ceases. Doubts and irresolutions vanish and the truth is confirmed in you. With a single stroke you are freed from bondage. Nothing clings to you and you hold to nothing. All is empty, clear, self-illuminating, with no need to exert the mind. Here, thinking, feeling, understanding, and imagination are of no special value. In this world, as it really is, there is neither self nor other than self. Don't waste your time in arguments and discussion, attempting to grasp the ungraspable. Each thing reveals the one. The one manifests as all things. To live in this realization is not to worry about perfection or non-perfection. To put your trust in the heart-mind is to live without separation and in this non-duality, you are one with your life source. 
words, words. The way is beyond language, for in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, no today. I do have more words because I also want to share a, a second text which in a way says the same thing but I find it perhaps a little bit more accessible and uh, relatable to my practice and in some ways more heartful and it's actually a text that I once um, memorized on a personal retreat Unfortunately, I've forgotten it now. It was 20 years ago, so I'm not going to try and do it from memory. But it was a very lovely thing to do, to actually find a text that really speaks to you and to uh, make a practice of memorizing it. So this is uh, Tilopa's song to Naropa. Tilopa was a meditation master and a mystic born in what's now Bengal, who lived in the 11th century, so makes him a contemporary of William the Conqueror and the beginning of modern English history. (laughs) And he practiced in the caves of the Himalayas and northern India. And Naropa was his student. And Naropa was a, a, a top student from the great Buddhist University of Nalanda who had a vision and realized that his understanding was incomplete and went to look for Tilopa and then stayed with him for many years. And we may wonder if we can really follow and understand these teachings from other traditions that are centuries apart. But just look at this, at how similar are the minds we're working with. So apparently one of the most famous teachings that uh, Tilopa gave to Naropa was something called the six, wor- the six words of advice. And just see whether these ring a bell. And remember that Naropa was very well known for his intellectual and meditative accomplishments, so I wonder what he made of this. So these six words of advice, the short form is don't recall, don't imagine, don't think, don't examine, don't control, and rest. (laughs) Which maybe is easier to, it's clearer, we say, let go of what's past, let go of what may come, let go of what's happening now, don't try to figure anything out, don't try to make anything happen, relax right now and rest. So I hope that makes sense to you. (laughs) We're all doing our job. So Naropa was famous for his, also for his devotion to his teacher. And I think the love uh, between them comes through in this teaching. And it's called the Song of the Mahamudra, which is the name, became the name of a whole practice lineage in Tibetan Buddhism. And it's another one of these terms that's very difficult to define. 
It's really a term for the, the very nature of the awakened mind or ultimate reality in itself. And uh, I think rather than try to define these terms, we get a feel for what they mean just from listening to what's said about them. So this translation or version is by Lex Hickson uh, from a book called The Mother of the Buddhas, which is a a collection of translations or um, renditions of the Prajnaparamita sutras, the suttas on the perfection of wisdom, which are Sanskrit teachings that come from about 400 years after the Buddha. But this is later. This is obviously... uh, from the time of William the Conqueror and the Battle of Hastings. (laughs) (laughs) Mahamudra, the royal way, is free from every word and sacred symbol. For you alone, beloved Naropa, This wonderful song springs forth from Tilopa, a spontaneous friendship that never ends. The completely open nature of all dimensions and events is a rainbow always occurring yet never grasped. The way of Mahamudra creates no closure. No strenuous mental effort can encounter this wide-open way. The effortless freedom of awareness moves naturally along it. As space is always freshly appearing and never filled, so the mind is without limits and ever aware. Gazing with sheer awareness into sheer awareness... Habitual abstract structures melt into the fruitful springtime of Buddhahood. White clouds that drift through blue sky, changing shape constantly, have no root, no foundation, no dwelling. Nor do changing patterns of thought that float through the sky of mind. When the formless expanse of awareness comes clearly into view, obsession with thought forms ceases easily and naturally. As within the openness of universal space, shapes and colours are spontaneously forming, although space has no colour or form. So within the expanse of awareness, Realms, relations and values are arising, although awareness possesses no positive or negative characteristics. As the darkness of night, even if it were to last a thousand years, could not conceal the rising sun, so countless ages of conflict and suffering cannot conceal the innate radiance of mind. Although philosophers explain the transparent openness of appearances as empty of permanent characteristics and completely indeterminable, this universal indeterminacy can itself never be determined. Although sages report the nature of awareness to be luminosity, 
this limitless radiance cannot be contained within any language or sacramental system. Although the very essence of mind is to be void of either subjects or objects, it tenderly embraces all life within its womb. To realize this inexpressible truth, do not manipulate mind or body, but simply open into transparency with relaxed natural grace, intellect at ease in silence, limbs at rest in stillness like hollow bamboos. Neither breathing in nor breathing out with the breath of habitual thinking Allow the mind to be at peace in brilliant wakefulness. This is the royal wealth of Mahamudra, no common coin of any realm. Beloved Naropa, this treasure of Buddhahood belongs to you and to all beings. Obsessive use of meditative disciplines or perennial study of scripture and philosophy will never bring forth this wonderful realization, this truth which is natural to awareness. Because the mind that desperately desires to reach another realm or level of experience inadvertently ignores the basic light that constitutes all experience. The one who fabricates any division in consciousness betrays the friendship of Mahamudra. Cease all activity that separates. Abandon even the desire to be free from desires and allow the thinking process to rise and fall smoothly as waves on a shoreless ocean. one who never dwells in abstraction and whose only principle is never to divide or separate upholds the trust of Mahamudra. The one who abandons craving for authority and definition and never becomes one-sided in argument or understanding alone perceives the authentic meaning hidden in the ancient scriptures. In the blissful embrace of Mahamudra, negative viewpoints and their instincts are burned without remainder, like camphor. Through the open door of Mahamudra, the deluded state of self-imprisonment is easily left behind forever. Mahamudra is the torch of supreme liberty shining forth through all conscious beings. Those beings constituted by awareness who try to ignore, reject or grasp awareness inflict sorrow and confusion upon themselves like those who are insane. To be awakened from this madness, cultivate the gracious friendship of a sublime sage of Mahamudra who may appear to the world as mad. When the limited mind enters, enters blessed companionship with limitless mind, indescribable freedom dawns. Selfish or limited motivations 
create the illusory sense of imprisonment and scatter seeds of further delusion. Even genuine religious teaching can generate narrowness of vision. Trust only the approach that is utterly vast and profound. The noble way of Mahamudra never engages in the drama of imprisonment and release. The sage of Mahamudra has absolutely no distractions because no war against distractions has ever been declared. This nobility and gentleness alone, this non-violence of thought and action, is the traceless path of all Buddhas. To walk this all-embracing way is the bliss of Buddhahood. Phenomena on every plane of being are constantly arising and disappearing. Thus they are forever fresh, always new and inexhaustible. Like dreams without solid substance, they can never become rigid or binding. The universe exists in a deep, elusive way that can never be grasped or frozen. Why feel obsessive desire or hatred for it? thereby creating illusory bonds. Renounce arbitrary habitual views. Go forth courageously to meditate in the real mountain wilderness, the wide open Mahamudra. Transcend boundaries of kinship by embracing all living beings as one family of consciousness. Remain without any compulsion in the landscape of natural freedom, spontaneous, generous, joyful. When you receive the crown of Mahamudra, all sense of rank or attainment will quietly disappear. Cut the root of the vine that chokes the tree and its clinging tendrils wither away entirely. Sever the conventionally grasping mind and all bondage and desperation dissolve. The illumination from an oil lamp lights the room instantly, even if it has been dark for eons. Mind is boundless radiance. How can the slightest darkness remain in the room of daily perception? but one who clings to mental processes cannot awaken to the radiance of mind. Strenuously seeking truth by investigation and concentration, one will never appreciate the unthinkable simplicity and bliss that abide at the core. To uncover this fertile ground, cut through the roots of complexity with the sharp gaze of naked awareness, remaining entirely at peace, transparent and content. You need not expend great effort nor store up extensive spiritual power. Remain in the flow of sheer awareness. Mahamudra neither accepts nor rejects any current of energy, internal or external. 
Since the ground consciousness is never born into any realm of being, nothing can add to or subtract from it, nothing can obstruct or stain it. When awareness rests here, the appearance of division and conflict disappears into original reality. The twin emotions of anxiety and arrogance vanish into the void from which they came. Supreme knowing knows no separate subject or object. Supreme action acts resourcefully without any array of instruments. Supreme attainment attains the goal without past, future or present. The dedicated practitioner experiences the spiritual way as a turbulent mountain stream tumbling dangerously among boulders. When maturity is reached, the river flows smoothly and patiently with the powerful sweep of the Ganges. Emptying into the ocean of Mahamudra, the water becomes ever-expanding light that pours into great clear light without direction, destination, division, distinction or description. Thank you for listening. I hope that was uh, nutritious for you. <laughs> and uh, you have time for more sitting or walking and then chanting at nine for those who'd like.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.